Greetings, and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit about and talk BS. Beatles stuff on a track-by-track basis, pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McQuarrie, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. How are you doing this week? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah, looking forward to, uh, at some point, getting around to watching Get Back, but I'm denying myself that opportunity. Uh, at the moment, I think I might just wait until we're talking about Let It Be. Okay, well, that's... that's um, About four that's years away. Yeah, <laughs> thank you for doing the maths there for me. I was struggling a bit. Yeah, that's um, an admirable level of restraint. Yes, real <laughs> commitment to enjoy that material right whilst we get to it. <laughs> Lovely. Right, well, that's not what we're talking about this week. This week, uh, we're talking about the second last track on Please Please Me. So that means we're talking about There's a Place. Um, yeah, what do you think? Well, I mean, who knows where to start with this? I, th- I reckon this is a track that is mostly ignored um and but i do get the feeling that there's a there's a a weight of opinion out there that thinks it's quite a cool song and indication of where the beatles will end up going or at least where where john's lyrical content will end up going yeah this is one of those songs that uh, when i came to listen to it I was not particularly looking forward to it, I think it would be fair to say. We've talked about this on the podcast before, about the fact that I think that this album rather runs out of steam towards the end of it. And this is kind of the song that, that's really, you know, boiled the kettle dry, if I'm not mixing my metaphors too much there. Anyway, you know what I mean. It was it, it's, it's, where, it's where the album kind of runs out of gas before it, it kind of gets back in its feet again with the next song. And kind of listening to it a couple of times prior to um, reading anything about it, that's kind of my feeling. And then I kind of went away and, and uh, read a bit from, of course, Ian MacDonald and the Wikipedia entry and all the rest of it. And yeah, there's this kind of body of work which seems very struck in this song that seems to really kind of enjoy it and, and get a lot out of it and, and thinks it's worth something. So I went back and listened to it again to see if I could kind of make those connections. And honestly, I couldn't really i think there's a i like i i understand a lot of why people respond to this song but i don't personally respond to it in in that way i think it's very easy to um to treat it as a song where the the author's opinion of it doesn't really matter anymore you know the, uh, whatever the literal interpretation may have been is not important it's more about the value that you place on it so there's a place well okay great so we're not necessarily talking about um you know somewhere in liverpool although some people do seem to think that it has a kind of like a physical location maybe we're talking about a place in our heads you know and and so we we get and get into to people reading into it what they want to so there's that whole kind of cultural criticism you know the whole death of the author thing and uh, that we can ascribe whatever value we want to it however it's a song on the first Beatles album and most of the songs on the first Beatles albums are slight you know they have good things about them but in the main they're more an indication of where they're going to end up going and that's the case here but I'll tell you one thing that really interests me of course is the one thing that the Beatles are renowned for one of the things they're renowned for are, are, are the, the vocal harmonies. And I find that, that this song has the oddest vocal harmonisation uh, across the, the Beatles catalogue. It's really, really strange. It's almost like there's too much of it. You know, the, there was a point where, um, say, for example, R.E.M. Were, were quite renowned, Mike Mills and Michael Stipe, for their, for their harmonising. And I think it was on Up, where there was none of it. 
and you really noticed its absence. Well, this one goes the other way. When the Beatles do it on most songs, it's wonderful. It's mind-blowing the way in which the, uh, John and Paul and also George interact with each other. Here, it just feels like a case of that someone said, right, okay, let's just sing most of this together. And it just doesn't work for me. It just feels like it's not the song to do it on. And if there is that vocal, uh, so that lyrical element where it's about how low I am feeling, about how blue I am feeling, then I think it would work better if it was a voice rather than, you know, some sort of harmonisation, which kind of detracts slightly from the supposed message that's running through it. Yeah, no, I think that's a really valid criticism. It, it, it needs to be... Um... Uh, more distinctive and a solo voice would, would give it that because the lyric is is uh, unusually kind of introspective and unusually kind of uh, self-obsessed at this sort of point in, in the writing um, and yeah so it, it's quite a specific thing that Lennon is writing about now like I said before I don't necessarily buy into this being the start of his big kind of introspection and how this is the indicator of where his songwriting is going to go um, at least in part, because I think, um, as far as this lyric is concerned, it's fairly slight. It's not something which necessarily has a lot of kind of, um, how can I put this? Uh, not a lot of um, depth to it beyond uh, what it is. Um, what it is, is is perfectly fine. I think it does a, a sort of good job of getting its uh, point across, but it's not, it's not this great sort of lyrical spiralling that Lennon will eventually end up kind of well, kind I, of getting together. The, 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 there isn't a great literate element to it, I, let's I, say it that way. I think I can understand... No, not understand. I, I think I can see a reason why some people have ascribed that meaning to it. And it comes down to the fact that the title is There's a Place. And one of Lennon's most famous best songs starts There Are Places. So, you know, people have seen there's a place, there are places, and thought, oh, I can join up the dots. I can see how that line goes from there to there. And, right, okay, they're slightly different songs, ever so slightly. Yeah, that's a bit the walrus's pole for me, you know? That's yeah. if That feels a little bit contrived. But I do think, I have seen people talk about, you know, that th there is a link between, um, you know, the two songs. And I just think, well, it's a bit... Okay, well done, you. Yeah, I mean, it is a, it is one of those songs where, like, if you if you want to kind of ascribe your own kind of interpretation for it, it is a song which leaves that wide open. That's yeah. that that's that's fine. Um, I kind of I, I'm almost envious of people who can do that in a way for this song because that means they're getting more out of this song than I am, and that would be nice. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't necessarily even think that those kind of interpretations are wrong as such but they're just ones that i can't quite find enough weight to get behind and and that's the kind of thing and i, I mean particularly I mean, you were talking about the harmonies and the way that they're kind of they kind of swamp out the meaning of the song rather than enhance the meaning of the song and the more i think about that the more i think that is that's yeah that's a pretty astute observation it, it's one of those things that i think i would have liked to have been able to come up with myself <laughs> Yeah, God, I wish I'd thought of that. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's it. that's what I was trying to say. Um, but no, I think that's. I, mean, I do think that's a very. Um, I do think that's a very valid interpretation. And because it's such a short song, you know, you only get the bridge once or the middle eight, whatever you want to call it. 
Um, the song doesn't crack two minutes. I mean, it's a very short song to, to try and ascribe too much meaning from. And particularly that, that bridge as it kind of tries to lift itself up. You know, in my mind, there's no sorrow. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, it's not... Holy. Which is okay. I mean, at it's least okay, it's some convincing. progression. I mean, you know, the I saw her standing there is is very kind of literal. You know, I saw you. We did this. Then this happened. Then this happened. But it works because it fits the the, the energy of the song and it fits, you know, that that sort of youthful enthusiasm. This is the these lyrics, I suppose end up becoming quite standardized in the in the pop canon there's there's you know this combination of words effectively turns up in probably 20 30 40 50 songs um and you know it just feels like a case of um you know well done you that's very nice that that you feel this way that you've explored it but if it was that important to you perhaps you would have developed the song a bit more and done a little bit more with it or even been so proud of it that you would have played it live more than about the three times they actually did yeah it doesn't seem to be a song that there's a lot of emphasis on or a lot of energy behind it yet uh, if if um wikipedia is to be believed and good grief how could we possibly doubt anything we find on wikipedia uh, it, they do seem to have put quite a lot of work into the recording session so there there has been some effort made behind it even if it's not necessarily something that's ever going to become a live staple or something which is going to have that much attention paid to it. I think in the end it's just a bit corny. I mean, yeah. especially especially at this point, yeah. the, the uh, harmonica on it, I think, is really um, unf- not unfortunate. <laughs> that's the wrong. Word. That's not the right word at all. Um, but it, it just fi- it feels like, um, it feels like prop. It feels like a bit of a lazy prop. If you stick a harmonica on it, it'll give it a particular cadence, particularly that slightly bluesy sort of feel to it. Um, and, and, you know, uh, done and dusted, let's go have lunch. And I think that's kind of what it is. You know, there's a lot of uh, minor sevenths in this and, and that gives it that slight edge. And then you get the harmonica on top of it, which is a massive amounts of reverb just slapped on it to try and induce some kind of emotional cadence. Um, again, it just, it, it feels kind of a little bit lazy. It's just, oh, well, we'll just do this. That's fine. Yeah, it's, it's funny, there, there are things that, that we'll lose from the Beatles' repertoire that, that you'll miss. Like, for example, um, you know, John and Paul effectively singing, you know, the same harmony, almost like they're, they're sort of, the, you know, dueling it out. Um, we lose that pretty soon. It's not that long before we, we start getting, you know, solo efforts. But the harmonica, yeah, not really going to miss that. Yeah, no, me neither. And I don't, again, it's not... It's not even, that's the frustrating thing, it's not even that that's an inappropriate thing to be on the song. It's just that, you know, we've, it because this is the second last song on the album, it's something that we've come across kind of again and again. And so by the time we get to this stage, it's kind of outstayed its welcome a bit. It, we, 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 we've done everything that Lennon's going to be doing with the harmonica. And, and it's okay if he puts it back in its box now. I mean, were people at this stage doing anything more than than two two minute two minute thirty um, songs? I mean, this is the standard, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, anything under three minutes was basically was basically the standard. Yeah, yeah, I mean, because it does feel very underdeveloped, and it does make you wonder how other bands would have treated it. Maybe not at 
you know, in 1963, but perhaps 65, 66. Because it's quite interesting with the, um, again, context fans, um, you know, we're recording this, what, a week after Mike Nesmith um, passed away? Yeah. And, you know, I've sort of been reading a little bit about the Monkees this week and listening to some of their, some of their songs. They were still singing songs like this in 66. Um, and it's sort of a sign of just how far the Beatles had gone, um, that even some of those other big groups are still doing things that the Beatles were doing in their first couple of um, you know, years recording um, a few years down the line. So, um, you know, it, it just kind of makes me think that this is a phase that they needed to go through, get it done to be able to, to move on and to listen to, to something a little bit more sophisticated because you really do uh, and maybe this is the um, you know the benefit of them them finishing when they did. You really do get to see and hear progression in each album. Sometimes huge, sometimes small, but there's change. There's there's that sense of growing up and going from you know these sort of pop and R and B obsessed boys into men who created an industry. Yeah, but I think even, I mean, I, I do agree with all of that, but I think even given that, this is still a song which could have had um, a bit more work on it. The the um, the writing of it doesn't seem to have been something that anybody was fussed in. And I think what it, what it particularly needs, because this is, this is a predominantly Lennon song, if, 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 uh, if we're to believe Mr. Lennon himself, um, and he, he it. <laughs> well, yeah, well, never, ne- never want to, never want to uh, fall shy of uh, self mythologization. Yeah. Um, but you know, he seems to think that that's the case, um, and and that it was kind of like a Motown thing, which I don't really think comes through at all. But you know, what it really needs is for McCartney to then step in and go, okay, so here's somewhere else for the song to go. Like even even if it had like another break, even if it came back to the the middle eight again, or even if it had like a little like pre-chorus thing going on or something you know it, it, it doesn't need to be that long if it, if it added another 30 seconds to the song we'd still only be up at two minutes 20 so you know it just it needs McCartney to come in with another idea or someone to come in with another idea to kind of bring it up to that kind of next level and that obviously just isn't something which which particularly happened with this one and you know okay fair enough not every song is going to be developed in that way but I think it's telling when you listen to it alongside yeah, even misery or, or anything like that. You know, there there's there's more kind of development in terms of the basic song structure than there is here. We have two verses and a wee bit in the middle, and that's your lot. I think the the live thing is important now, isn't it? Because you you know that especially with the covers that they've played them and they know them inside out. Whether it was at Hamburg or whether it's in you know in you know, the period closer to the time of recording, you know, they know those songs and they can transfer energy into them. You know, you say it's effectively underwritten or needed more time developing in the writing. Well, maybe it just needed more time playing. Um, but that whole thing is is quite interesting because there's not a huge amount to talk about with this song. I think for us, we, we can't see in it what other people can see. But I think the the way in which things were recorded then is quite interesting because at least it was a performance. It was, you know, all members of the band sitting down and playing at the same time and then perhaps with some overdubs, um, but not many because of the technology. And it does kind of make me wonder how bands managed to record 
songs these days and sound like a cohesive outfit is you know for for all the flaws of this song there's still a band who played together who got a version of the song that was good enough where all of them were pulling in the right direction and that takes a lot yeah i i I mean i do agree with that i mean not to fall back on my own kind of extremely extremely limited time that (laughs) i've spent in a recording studio um but it is really difficult if you're recording instruments that uh, uh separately if you're trying to get that that sense of cohesion it it's it's really tough and we were only recording in a little i think eight track and then a 16 track studio um so nothing you know even a billionth of the sophistication of what's available even now that was back at the early two late 90s early 2000s and it is really hard to get that so you do get a cohesiveness with this kind of performance um it seems strangely ironic that the thing that was overdubbed on this was the harmonica yeah well yeah Uh, that That, figures Um, but yeah, it, it is tough, and 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 having those kind of elements in place as a live performance does give um, a degree of energy, which can be really, really difficult to capture when you're not recording as live as a band like that. Yeah, I think this is just a a footnote of a song. Um, I don't really think it has anything that that need detain us too long, but it's a, a useful little tool to just to kind of think right okay even their filler is still probably better than than a lot of other bands um tracks at the, at the time so i'm pretty sure if you got down to uh, side two of a cliff and the shadows album you'd mm-hmm. probably be struggling to find anything of, of this quality um but you know if there are any um cliff and the shadows fans out there in mexico and sweden please feel free to uh, to get in touch and prove me wrong. I'm not going to go listening to the albums to try and prove myself wrong, but um, you know, I'm sure there are many devotees of Akabilk who will go, no, actually, actually. Um, <laughs> like a, I like a bit of Akabilk, I do. Do you? Uh, okay. <laughs> I, actually don't mind, I actually don't mind a bit of Akabilk, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, oh, we'll just draw, draw a veil over that, yeah, shall I we? Don't, I don't know where to go with that. So, yeah. Yeah, you know this. This is, it, it, I, th- I think we call it formulaic pop. I think the lyrics are, yeah, okay, fair enough. Something slightly different, but not exactly hitting some of that. I mean, bear in mind, it's not going to be that long before, um, you know, they're they're pulling lyrics from um, old circus posters, for example. Yeah. You know, we're only a couple of years down the line from that, really. Uh, so it's quite remarkable how they go from a um to be or you know making the realization that that pretty soon they're going to have to write in the third person for she loves you uh second person rather well second slash third you know what i mean um you know so they're growing up and i think there's a lot of teenage boys who've written lyrics about how sad i am and i feel blue because of you what do i do without you you know it's fine some people have made made huge careers out of that sort of thing 
Shall we draw a veil over this one? Oh God, yeah, please. Yeah. Okay, yeah. fine, fine. We'll uh, we'll leave this one there as a relatively short episode. You can contact us by email. We are Beatlesstuffology at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at Beatles underscore ology, and you can find more of my writing at www.jgmacquarie.scot. Please like, rate, and review us on whatever podcatcher you're using, so that more people can find the show. Next episode, we are going to be done with the album. That means we're doing the very last track and we're going to be covering Twist and Shout. But until then, keep listening.